Hello and welcome to Amplify. On this week's show, Toner Quinn on 20 years of the Journal of Music, Jane O'Leary on her recent works, and we talk to Contempo Quartet cellist Adrian Mantu. That's Slip from Dave Flynn's Second String Quartet, a work recorded by the Contempo Quartet on the album Stories from the Old World. And I travelled down to Galway last week to hear the quartet perform music by Jane O'Leary and Ina Boyle. More on this later. I'm Jonathan Grimes, and as always, I'm joined by Yvonne Ferguson, CMC Director. Hi there. Hi there, Jonathan. So we begin this week with an interview with the Journal of Music's Toner Quinn. And while I was down in Galway, I took the opportunity to talk to him about his work with the publication. Yeah, the Journal of Music is an important publication. It, it, it has been for the last 20 years, both when it was in print and now in digital format. I mean, with the really detailed, considered articles on music that's happening right across the country and globally. And I suppose a go-to for those kind of considered articles about all genres of music. And I know lots of people refer to it and enjoy the articles uh, that Toner and his editorial team produce. It's hard to believe it's actually 20 years ago. It does actually feel... Like yesterday, uh, maybe I'm showing my age more, but uh, yeah, 2000, the first issue came out in November of 2000. And it's fair to say that they've kind of documented the development of musical life in Ireland over those 20 years. So I started by asking Toner about the very first editorial he wrote for the Journal of Music back in 2000 and if he is as optimistic and idealistic about his work with the Journal today as he was back in 2000. I'm trying to think back to writing that first editorial. I'd recently come back from Scotland where I studied publishing. Before that I did a music degree. After my music degree I'd started writing about music. I was trying to reach out to the music community. I'm shaped by music. All of my formative experiences are through music. And I care deeply for it and I think about it all the time. And as a young musician in my early 20s, my mid-20s then, I just didn't feel the discussion around music reflected what I was interested in hearing. It's in my nature to sort of do something about these things, so I thought the only way I knew about way of doing something about it was to start a magazine which, which where I could create more discourse around the things that interested me. I was writing about music, but I was a novice writer at the time. I didn't understand a lot of what was happening. But I could see all of these talented musicians and composers around me and I thought, what did I ask them? I bet they know how to make sense of all this. So it seemed optimistic, idealistic, at 25 I guess you are, am I still as optimistic and idealistic? I still go to work on the Journal of Music every day relishing it. There are new challenges every day. There's so much to write about. Staying with that time 20 years ago, I mean it was, it was an entirely different musical world. Things don't change as much as you think. They will change over 20 years. What happens in society, what happens in music and culture 
is we take a couple of steps forward, we take a couple of steps back. Things aren't as radically different as you would think. I do think the digital world has transformed many things. I think it's made us more open as a society. I think it's made us more open as musicians. As someone who plays traditional music, I think traditional music has opened up. I think contemporary music, classical music has opened up. And I think a lot of that is about communication, about understanding the other. There were a lot of divisions back then that I felt were there bet between genres. It's difficult to talk about music. It's difficult to write about it. It's difficult to make sense of it. We can't touch it. We can't see it. As soon as it enters our mind, it's leaving us again. We have moments to try and understand what we've just heard before it's gone. My perspective is that by understanding music, we understand ourselves. Just going back to this thing about the different genres and the divisions that exist between them and at the time felt like a quite a radical idea to me to have the three genres in the one publication so to speak. Have we moved on significantly in terms of those divisions between genres or are they still there to the extent that they were back in the year 2000? No they're definitely not there. And they don't matter as much either, because we're far more empowered, really, to express ourselves publicly about how we feel. If you can imagine, you know, in 2000, although the internet had arrived and there were some forums, discussion forums, breaking through the sort of mainstream media discussion of music was still quite difficult. But these days, we are more empowered. We can publish to the internet via social media channels, video channels, audio channels, there are many, many different discourses going on right now. The, the divisions are not as important, and if you're caught up in the divisions, you really are going to let, get left behind. The musical world is so rich and diverse, and I work in it full time, and I find it difficult to keep up with it. It's a diverse world, and I can understand people not understanding other musics. You know, I listen to music all the time and I'm still finding things that I don't quite understand that I have to return to whether it's classical or contemporary or jazz or traditional music there's so much to this world it's incredibly diverse it amazes me that we don't have much more public discussion about the role of music in our society that hasn't changed over the past 20 years it's got worse well it's it, a question actually it hasn't got worse because of the internet. We can have our discussions, but certainly the core national media ignores an in-depth discussion of music generally from day to day. Just like any other area of, of expertise, music requires a lot of thinking and discussion. And obviously we don't put those resources into it, but that's what the Journal of Music does. That's what it's there for having an interesting, progressive, open, inclusive discussion about music. That to me is a value. I look for that as a musician. When I switch on the radio, when I read, I look for an interesting, new, advancing perspective on music because I care about music and because it's important to me. But in order to do that, you need to track and record what is happening. And so reviewing 
and interviewing is a very, very important part of what the Journal of Music does because we can't understand the music that's around us unless we are actually resourcing writers to go and seriously listen to a performance and come back and report for the rest of us. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this critical discourse around music and this was a key principle and why you started the Journal of Music in Ireland, as it was called back then. Do you still think that musical criticism is as important for new music in 2020 as you did back then? I remember when we started the Journal of Music, I wanted to go straight to the wider discussion about music, but then I realised gradually that we need to actually track what's going on and have that public record of music. And that has actually become more and more important as the years have gone on. Particularly when new artists emerge, uh, new composers, new singers, I'm always keen to get a good writer to go and hear them. And let's have that on record now. For example, 20 years ago, Dunica Dennehy, Jennifer Walsh, young composers, and we were reviewing their work then. And it's really, really interesting now when we see them do new stuff to be able to look back and see how their work developed. And as the writer Bob Gilmore once said, to understand how their music felt during their time. That's a really, really important role for a writer. subtle difference though between writing about a composer's work and trying to understand their work and what they're doing and where they're coming from is there a difference between that and let's say a more traditional approach to musical criticism as in the concert review yeah i never found that approach of the short review in the national newspapers very satisfactory that's one of the reasons i started the journal of music i found it too short i found it didn't add to our discourse I found it didn't describe the music. It just created division between the media and the artists. The role of a writer is to describe the music first, to tell us what happened. This is something very, very simple that gets forgotten. You are a witness to something that cannot be repeated. You have to describe it first and then tell us what you thought about it, by all means. But a lot of this compressed criticism in the legacy newspapers, it doesn't describe it in a detailed way. It often goes straight to telling us what they thought about it, but generally speaking, we haven't advanced it. And I'm interested in a discourse around music that is constantly developing. That's the kind of society I want to live in as a musician. That's the kind of society I want other musicians to live in, because if we had a more interesting, more fuller, more in-depth discourse, I don't think there would be these divisions. I don't think there would be this frustration. I think our society would understand them better. I think the status of music would be even higher in our society and I think artists would be supported better if we understood them better. Going back to the, this impact of the digital on the journal of music's work and on musical discourse that you've spoken about and how it's impacted the dissemination of music as you mentioned that you can now go online and find pretty much 
anything or most things on on a particular composer or, or artist and that's a huge transformation when you think about it like it's only 20 years and already you can just go a couple of clicks and you can listen very via spotify soundcloud bandcamp whatever and I guess those signs were there in 2000 that we were on the cusp of major change. Had you yourself any idea of where this was going to lead you and the journal? No. What the internet gave you back was time in the early stages. And then I moved from print to fully online in 2010. Although we were always online, it gave us distribution. I mean, the Journal of Music in Ireland when it started would have had maybe a couple of hundred readers. 20 years later, you have a quarter of a million readers. That's an astronomic leap that we could never have predicted. All of those things allowed you to develop a model where you could support more editorial work. The more time you can put into editorial work, the stronger your content is, the more writers you can bring in. So it, it gives you a little and it takes a little, but all the time if you're focused on the editorial work and creating more space for that, creating more space for writers, for the relationship between editor and writer and reader, that's how you build a robust reviewing culture. I had a core idea, a very powerful idea. I didn't realise how powerful it was at the time. I didn't realise anybody else would be interested in this idea of thinking and talking about music in a new way. I didn't realise that the world was about to open up digitally and that we were, music was going to become even more important to our lives. That's something, that's a line that keeps going around in my head particularly since streaming became mainstream, that music has now become even more important to our lives. And I think that's an extraordinary step forward for society. What's the evidence for that? I have no evidence for it, but I just observe what's happening around me. And I've also been through the experience. I was a teenager listening to CDs and tapes and vinyl. I remember when you had to wait to listen to music I remember when you had to order your favourite album. Now you have instant access anywhere to so much music and therefore it never ends. And therefore you can listen to more music and take in more music and therefore it becomes a more essential part of your life. It's not just the volume of music, it's the fact that you can move around such a range of music. I think our listening is broader and if people are listening to music more, which I think they are, because of streaming, because of smartphones, well therefore they're internalising it more and it's becoming more central to their daily routine. Does the quality suffer for a lot of people's listening? I mean, I, I take your point that music is everywhere and it's possible now to listen wherever to whatever you want to listen to. What you said there is important. It's the music they want to listen to. Music has always been everywhere. We walk into a shopping centre, we were subjected to the rubbish on the tannoy. We were in an elevator, we were on a bus, we had to listen to music all the time. Music has always been around us, but not the music we wanted to listen to at that particular moment, right there, right then. That's the difference. We have choice. Finally, when you started in 2000, there were a number of issues with music in Ireland. You've discussed some of those uh, during the course of this conversation. How many of those challenges and issues that were live topics back then still exist today? And what are the new ones that we're facing now? All of the old challenges still exist. The challenge of 
artists and musicians having security in a very precarious artistic world. There's never enough support for them. I still think they're underappreciated in society. We are more empowered to take control of our situation to a certain extent. We may have to do lots and lots of different activities that we didn't anticipate we would have to do to survive in this artistic world. I mean, I started as a musician. I didn't expect to be writing about music or publishing about music or publishing other writers about music. But I'm happy I'm 100% involved in the, in the music world. So you have to do lots of different things if you want to stay in the world that you love. As regards the challenges for the future, the big challenge is the old one. It is how are we going to support artists and musicians? How do we actually encourage them to persist with this? Because they enrich our lives so much. They really do. There's so much talent that isn't nurtured because our society is suspicious of artists and composers. It's not sure how much it should support them because they don't fully understand what they're doing. They don't fully understand these sounds they're creating. It's, a, it's an important part of what the Journal of Music does is to try and explain the significance of what these artists and composers are doing, how it helps us understand ourselves. And I think that's going to be a long battle for the arts world, for the musical world, and certainly for the Journal of Music. Tony Quinn, here's to the next 20 years. Thank you very much. Thank you. Music from Sean McElaine, horse-drawn thoughts from his album Music for Empty Ears on Ergodos Records. Ending that interview with Toner Quinn of the Journal of Music. And you can explore all the interesting, provocative and considered articles of the Journal of Music at journalofmusic.com. Next, composer Jane O'Leary. And I met her at St. Nicholas's Collegiate Church where the lunchtime concert with Galway Music Residencies, the Contempo Quartet, was taking place. This concert featured the premiere of Jane's new work, Forever Begin, Fanfare for a New Year, as well as the 20th century Irish composer Ina Boyle's String Quartet. And Jane's work is one of a number of new pieces that she has written, her work for the Hard Rain Solos Ensemble had just been premiered in Belfast a few days before we spoke. And Yvonne, her work for New Music Dublin will be premiered later this month as well. Yeah, it will, Jonathan. I think it is on the Saturday night of the festival, of the New Music Dublin Festival. And it's a very large scale work for a symphony orchestra and quartet. And I think it will be the National Symphony Orchestra and the Ligeti Quartet from the UK who are involved in a, a few concerts at the festival. And it's such a busy time for Jane O'Leary. It's wonderful. Um, last year and this year. And it's great to see the development of this relationship that she has built with the Hardway and Solost Ensemble, the main contemporary music ensemble in the north of the island. She's really had uh, great projects with them and great contact because she was their kind of featured composer right throughout 2019. So that relationship has built with the ensemble and with the artistic director, Greg Caffrey, and great to see new work from Jane uh, coming from that relationship.
So here is Jane O'Leary. Galway Music Residency has been promoting a series of concerts with Contempo over a period of three years to cover the 27 EU countries. Each month we focus on a different country and this month is Ireland, chosen because obviously the capital of culture 2020 is beginning also this week. I wanted to write a new little fanfare to start the new year, the 2020, with a celebration. And it's going to be paired with Nina Boyle's 1934 string quartet, which is a fantastic combination. I'm so pleased to be paired with, with her work. And, you know, unfortunately, she didn't really hear her work during her lifetime. taken with Brendan's poem, Begin, and I actually met him before I came to Ireland, back in 71, 72. I got to know him very well, and you probably, if you look at my catalogue, you'll see that I've used fragments from his early poems for titles. Not so much setting of the full text, but just grabbing a phrase or a line, which to me opens up all kinds of possibilities and this poem begin is just incredible it's so beautiful and it's so positive and it's full of images of Dublin in the morning and the idea that every morning we start new I've had a few setbacks in my life, as you know, and there's something in human nature that just gives us resilience and positivity is so important. And I think, you know, whatever knocks us down, we just get up and begin again. It's so important. That's a, a philosophy for you in, in life. And, yeah. and obviously life, life is music. And, Absolutely. And everything. Life is music. I don't separate the two. <laughs> Writing is really special. I love the variety of sounds you can get from the four string instruments, but then there's so much subtle variety between the way you can use fingers of both hands and the bow and placement on the instrument. I need to know who I'm writing for as a composer. It's, I think it's a collaborative process. And I want the performers to feel challenged and to feel that they can contribute to the final sound of the piece in their own personal way. That's really important to me.
explain your notation and go into the subtleties of everything. The more you do, the more the performers understand what you're looking for. And definitely I have become more adventurous and more relaxed, I suppose, in trying unusual things with the, the string instruments and getting what I hope is a, a beautiful sound in, in new ways. Your next premiere takes place during New Music Dublin. That um, piece continues the string quartet exploration, I guess, with a, a piece for string quartet and orchestra. Yeah, it actually grew out of my love of writing for strings and working with contempo, having pushed the string quartet to a certain extent to its, its limits. I thought, oh my goodness, what a wonderful idea if you could take the whole strings of a whole orchestra and add in other things and try to layer those sounds. So I had this idea for a long time and I spent a couple of years working on it just for myself, just because I wanted to see what I could do and I really enjoyed creating this sound world of a string quartet as a, a unit of sound which contrasts with the full string section and then harp and percussion are particularly important. It's a lot of playing with the sounds across the orchestra. Very, a lot of it is very, very soft and subtle. Beneath the Dark Blue Waves, it's a quintet for the flute, bass, clarinet, violin, cello and piano um, for hard rain solos and I've gotten to know them really well over the last season. I was featured composer and I was up in Belfast five times. They did a, almost a retrospective of my work and they chose five very different pieces. Some One was solo piano, one was sextet and from going back over maybe 20 years of my work and it was just incredible to get to know them that way and to get to look at my music again through new ears. And I was so encouraged and thrilled, really, for that experience. And then I was delighted when they asked me, Greg Caffrey asked me to um, write a piece for the group. So I did that last summer and it was such a pleasure again because I knew the players and they're doing fantastic work. It must be quite a, a difference for for you to be uh, involved in in performances, chamber performances of your own work for that sort of group where you're not having to organise the oh. concert as in <laughs> your work with Concord over the many years. Yeah, it's a different experience, I suppose. When I I I had Concord for forty three years, <laughs> and how much I learned from them is incredible. I mean, that was that was just. You know, that's how you learn, I think, by working with performers and being inside the group. But, you know, there I was inside the group and now, now I'm outside <laughs> and listening and it's a different experience, yeah. 
well, I'm having a ball at the moment with um, all these premieres. I don't know how it happened, but they're all coming at once. And I'm going on to Plymouth, England for um, a really interesting collaboration with uh, a New York composer and a, a director over in England to commemorate the Mayflower 400th anniversary. And I'm looking forward to that. But it's just a special moment in my life this, these few months. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Jane O'Leary's Beneath the Dark Blue Waves, performed by the Hard Rain Soloist Ensemble. Thanks to Hard Rain Soloist Ensemble Artistic Director Greg Caffrey for sending on the recording of this premiere. You also heard extracts from Jane's new piece, as performed by Contempo and Ina Boyle's String Quartet. Finally, Adrian Mantu from the Contempo Quartet. And the Contempos have made new music an important part of their programming, Yvonne, since they moved to Ireland 17 years ago. They have, Jonathan, and, and we know that firsthand because they've been involved in so many CMC projects over the years in our tunes, which we had during Music Town. They also were involved, I think, in a, a commissioning project we had with a number of composers that went around schools a long time ago. I mean, in their own programme, they are consistent in programming works by c- composers from the island of Ireland, consistent in the commissioning of works by composers from the island of Ireland, and significantly too, you know, they, they perform so frequently all around the island and the, so so any works that they commission or they have in their programme repertoire get such an amount of performances and so audiences get a real chance to hear them all around the country and of course they perform abroad as well so they're bringing works abroad. I think it's also um, maybe important to mention this wonderful project they have in Sibiu in Romania that they go back to every summer and uh, it's uh, for the development of emerging composers and we've supported a number of composers to attend that residency in the past and I know from the feedback when they've come back that they've just learned so much and because the quartet are so generous when they work with composers. So their engagement with contemporary music, their engagement with Irish composers is just so wonderful. It's such a gift to us um, that they're here and that they are based here in Ireland for the last 17 years as the, the quartet in residence in Galway. Absolutely. So after the concert, I got to speak to Adrian about the quartet's work with Irish composers. And there's been so many composers that they've worked with over the years. And I also asked him about where new music fits into the group's programming and his own research that he's been doing into the history and development of the Irish String Quartet from 1916 to 2016. Let's hear it now. Or all your days like this. <laughs> I wish it's like all you know, all these storms in here, yeah. <laughs> Do not worry about anything. Just yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's good, yeah. I fo- I'm following you, yeah. Lovely <laughs> <laughs> music room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So Adrian, you've just premiered a new work by Jane O'Leary. You've played a number of her works over the past number of years. At this point, do you both have a very clear musical understanding of each other? Oh, definitely, yeah. So I remember first time when we played uh, her piece, I think, Mystic Place of Shadows, if I remember correctly, and then uh, her piano quintet, and we spent quite a lot of time preparing and working and getting to know yeah, her writings and the sound effects and the ideas as now after the 25 years relationships because uh, that's a thing not so many people know. We met Jane uh, 25 years when our quartet it was formed because uh, we were at that time students at the Music University in Bucharest in Romania. We went to this competition when we won second prize and uh, we didn't meet Jane personally at the time, but she was in the jury for the composition uh, uh, competition. And uh, but she came to the gala concert when we performed. She met us, and uh, we, when we auditioned for Galway, and we got the job for Galway. And uh, after a year or two, we just realized that actually we were in the same room, yeah, 25 years ago. So uh, it's a long relationship with Jane. We never had such a long relationship with any composer. Coming back to this piece, uh, it was uh, straightforward. It's just, uh, you know, like meeting uh, a friend after uh, you spent all his life with him or her, and it was just easy to put together. The Jane, it's about nature, and uh, that's something uh, amazing because I, I always like gives uh, freedom uh, to imagination, not only to the audience, but to the performers. This is something we, we love uh, us as performers. It's so rewarding to play either early music, baroque music or contemporary music where finally you can express yourself. You're going to the classicism, the romanticism, but everything is written in the part so you have very very little uh, flexibility there. That's uh, something uh, rewarding for us as performers because we become uh, a creative uh, artist as well as a performer, a translator let's say. a concert coming up later this month with new works from Linda Buckley and Irene Buckley, uh, two sisters. Tell me about these concerts and, and why you chose to work with these composers, because there's a Beethoven yes, theme yeah. over it. So uh, Linda Buckley, it's another composer we've been working with uh, for a long time. And uh, we try to include in our programs a lot of her works and uh, for example, her um, string quartet, actually her piece for string quartet and electronics, Haza. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been performing um, after Jane and uh, Kevin Volon. I think that this will be like on the third place if I have to make a statistics of uh, how, uh, the most performed works of uh, our quartet contemporary works. And uh, again, we felt a connection. And also this particular work has a, has a strong connection with Bartok. So somehow I felt a fantastic connection uh, between uh, this piece and uh, our yeah, country. She's a brilliant composer. As you know, now yeah, she got this amazing position in Glasgow as the composition teacher uh, at the university. And uh, I'm actually, uh, it was an easy choice to pick for Beethoven because after uh, the work she wrote uh, in our Bartok program, Haza, I thought, yeah, she'd be uh, the perfect uh, choice in writing uh, 
uh, uh, were to complement the Beethoven uh, mm. yeah, anniversary year. So, and of course, uh, when she was talking about Beethoven uh, Opus 131, uh, that's another <laughs> masterpiece. Uh, so it was a win-win situation. And we are glad that uh, her sister agreed as well to, um, uh, to come into this project. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to work with both of them uh, soon. Talk to me a little bit more about this research that you've done. I mean, you've you so you essentially you've looked at a hundred years of of the string quartet in Ireland. I mean, what have you actually found? I mean, what what are your kind of sense of the I suppose the importance of the string quartet within Irish composers? I mean, first of all, because we perform so many Irish composers and so diverse and uh, some of them was brilliant work some of them were extremes some of them were very traditional i mean we have dave flynn no who's am i call it the irish bartok yeah <laughs> we have yeah kevin uh, o'connell uh, we have also another um, dj mckay another brilliant yeah, woman composer and uh, i mean played so much that's just amazing how the string quartet literature exploded in, in the republican ireland for a uh, musical genre which we uh, associate with aristocracy with royalties and um, there was like maybe eight string quartet works until 1955 when the RTE now decided to expand with the orchestra and the radio string quartet in residence and then the RTE quartet in residence and uh, lots of uh, groups made up from the orchestra play forming string quartets and then uh, with the Academica string quartets and Bamberg quartet and the RTE contempo quartet nowadays and then all those commissions were encouraging the composers to start writing this research became uh, uh, like a mammoth research, so I had to, to reduce it to more uh, idea. The, the idea was, uh, after doing um, a research, uh, after I did this research, to pick maybe five composers and then to see how those pieces will evolve. If mm -hmm. there will be a successful string quartets and they'll be taken by other groups. But because, I, the, for example, in, it took Jennifer Walsh's Minard which uh, was premiered in, I think, uh, close, we came to Ireland in 2003, I think this work was premiered in 2004. I mean, we took that, her work, and we played everywhere in the world, and uh, just create so many mixed uh, reactions from the audience, because usually you don't get any reaction from an audience. Uh, this, this is the one with the tape machines, right? Exactly, yeah. It's about <laughs> two, two boom boxes. Um, and the torch. Remember a festival in France uh, at Montpellier, when uh, at the end of the piece, uh, half of the audience starting booing, but the other one was uh, standing up and uh, ovating uh, yeah. her name yeah. and shouting her name. Like uh, I mean, only in France you can get these reactions. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but saying that everywhere yes. we play this, this is just an amazing. Because I think that's the idea now: is to get a reaction. In her case, it's just like you love it uh, or hate it, which is just amazing. You've just triggered a memory that I I completely forgotten about in relation to Jenny Walsh's <laughs> piece. Uh, do you remember in playing it in Carnegie Hall in two thousand and eight? <laughs> and I remember the big challenge for me was I had to go and buy 
two of those boom boxes. <laughs> that one in Carnegie Hall, it was an amazing one in 2008. Yeah. And actually in that concert we played uh, Jennifer Welsh, we yeah. played uh, Jane O'Leary. Yeah. I think we played in Wilson as well. In Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I think Deidre McKay was it in there? Or was it, uh, I think Deirdre McKay was there. Yeah. And we did a, a duet, I think. Uh, uh, Alish, uh, there's another. Alish uh, Nureen. Yes, we did yes. Don't. Uh, you did Don't. Yeah, for right. for right. cello and the uh, bass clarinet. Yes. About a married couple. Yes. They say, yes. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was another amazing event. And look at this. So like, you have Jennifer Welsh and then Jane O'Leary. These are the two composers which are the headlights of my uh, thesis yes. uh, uh, to regards to uh, string quartet compositions in Ireland in the last uh, century. Mm. And uh, these are two works which were taken and performed all over the world. Mm. So they're successful works and this is what it proves the what uh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to show in my work that uh, any given work will have a life, an international uh, life on its own. Yeah. pieces by, by living composers and placing them alongside well-known classical repertoire or romantic repertoire like even if you take the Beethoven concert with with the the new music by uh, Linda and Irene Buckley is there a kind of a challenge in placing new music alongside established repertoire you know is there a danger that perhaps a work such as Beethoven's Quartet, Opus 131, it overshadows new pieces. <laughs> That's the question, because yeah, the classical format we tried to demolish or destroy was yeah, too heavy, yeah, two big works and like sandwich in the middle, yeah. a contemporary, just like uh, a reminder of what was what's the music happening? and what's happening nowadays and yeah. put it in the context. So in a way, it has the role, yeah, just, <laughs> you know, these are two big works and this is how the music should be. And this is what is nowadays just to have a glimpse and then you might appreciate more the classical music. That's like the old thinking and this is not a joke. This is how performers, they felt like 20, 30 years ago, playing this music just to emphasize uh, the greatness of uh, the master's work. And in fairness, I mean, these works are still performed after 200 years. Now, what's going to happen in the next 200 years? We never know. I mean, <laughs> Mozart was... Uh, Con contemporary composer to Beethoven, also con all the composers, they were contemporary composers. So for us, it's the easiest way to play contemporary music, but just, you know, the unknown. Yeah, I mean, this is, I always say, look guys, you like it or you don't like it. This is what we are. Mm. This yeah. is the world we live. Yeah. Let's make, uh, we should change everything. No, it's this technology, it's everything, the madness we all live nowadays. So uh, this is a reality of what we are. We don't have to like it or not, but just have to assume it. And uh, I always say, let's make it interesting because beauty was done during the Renaissance. So we cannot cope, we cannot write beautiful things, we cannot do beautiful things anymore, but we can do much better, we can do interesting things. I don't want to be a translator, even perfect one, yeah. but I want to be a creative artist, yeah. which in classical music you are not allowed all, uh, always. 
to yeah. do so. I'm playing in a classical string quartet, I'm playing lots of classical music, but that's why when uh, I love to play lots of contemporary music and to do crossover projects with uh, poets, dancers, uh, and uh, creative artists, uh, visual artists. Uh, we all want to create something yeah, in our life, yeah. Mm. Small or big, but if we have, we don't want to be restrained and we've been forced to be in a little tiny uh, circle of... Uh, we want to explore, no? This is how the world was discovered, this is how the universe was discovered. We want to dream. Adrian Mantu. That's it for this episode. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, please remember to subscribe to the podcast at cmc.ie forward slash amplify. And please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts if you happen to get your podcast there, as this helps us out with reaching more listeners. So we have a number of episodes uh, lined up over the next number of weeks, which we're quite excited about. So do keep an eye or ear out for those. And we also have a a live event that's happening in a few weeks as well, Yvonne, don't we? Yeah, if you want to come along and join us for a live recording of Amplify, that's taking place on Sunday, the 1st of March at uh, the Ivy Room in the National Concert Hall in Dublin. That's part of the New Music Dublin Festival and the Ivy Room is just beside the coffee shop. So very handy and convenient. And uh, we'll be uh, starting everything off at quarter to four, 3.45, with a pre-podcast drink, just so everybody can have a chat and uh, reflect a little bit, I suppose, on what they've heard throughout the festival as well. And then we'll begin the live recording at four o'clock. And I'm really looking forward to uh, the guests that we have lined up. Jonathan, full details of that will be on our website soon enough. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good occasion. And the pre-podcast drinks, presumably, are for the guests and audience members only not for the presenters (laughs) I think you're right there (laughs) okay that's all for this week until then bye for now